Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Janelli, and if I was animated, I would be done in the style of a Disney villain. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and if I was animated, I would be done in the style of the Take On Me music video. I'm Brian Dodd. If I were animated, I would be done in the style of Gundam Wing. I'm Ashley Barrow, and in the evil universe, if I was animated, I would be one of those cute anime girls. In the good universe, I would be animated in the style of Disney's Atlantis, and Mike Mignola would do my concept art. <laughs> that is so specific. Wait, did did he did he do the concept art for Atlantis? Yes, because that was like, okay, so like, Sleeping Beauty was their storybook movie, that was their comic book movie, and the world just wasn't ready for it, but that's why it looks like that. Yeah, because I, like, I, I did not know that, and you said his name, and then I thought about to the art style of that movie, and it makes so much sense. Wasn't that whole movie like a, a kind of a <clears throat> ripoff of an anime, too? There's like entire scenes lifted directly from an anime. I have no idea. Not that I know of, but it's Disney and they do that. Lion King was, yeah, was, took a lot from, uh, I think, was his name Kemba the White Lion? Kemba. I, I, yeah, I grew up with that movie also, but no, that was, I don't think that was Atlantis. Yeah, we should start some Kemba discourse now that the new quote unquote live action Lion King is coming out. Anyway, let's just like have <laughs> a separate Disney podcast where I tell you my Disney opinions and you listen. Okay, uh, the, the, the movie I'm thinking of is Nadia, and there are scenes in the Atlantis anime, I'm sorry, the, the Atlantis uh, Disney film that, that directly mirror it. But anyway, the reason we are talking about what things would look like if they were animated is the Magic the Gathering Netflix series. So this was announced last week. Magic the Gathering is getting a Netflix and Netflix animated series. If you a Netflix, a single Netflix, <laughs> a single Netflix, they are getting a Netflix. <clears throat> That's just what people in the know call individual <laughs> Netflix shows. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry, that's too funny. <laughs> Hello, old chap. I watched a Netflix today. The executive producers of the new show are the Russo brothers, fresh off of Avengers Endgame. The actual showrunners, so the people actually making the show day-to-day, are Henry Gilroy, who has worked on Rebels and The Clone Wars, both of the Star Wars animated shows, both of which are fantastic. And uh, Jose Molina who has worked on The Tick, which I love. I was literally just the week before this was announced, I was lamenting the fact that The Tick had been canceled. And also other shows like Agent Carter, which is one of the better uh, Marvel TV shows. The supervising director is Yoriaki Mo- Mochizuki, Mochizuki, who was a um, storyboard artist on Into the Spider-Verse. So that is very cool. And the animators are Bardell Entertainment, who have done things like, uh, more, most recently, they do Rick and Morty uh, and The Dragon Prince, but they have a ton of different shows and a ton of different art styles under their belts. The new Nickelodeon Ninja Turtles show is by them. I recommend everyone go to Bardell Entertainment's website. They have a reel on there with samples from a whole bunch of their work. There are so many different styles and so many different techniques that they use. Like, they can do anything. 
as far as I'm concerned. Like, I that that's very exciting to me. Um, uh, animation is also being overseen uh, by the Octopi Network, which is the Russo Brothers kind of go-to animation thing. So they're kind of... We don't know exactly how they're splitting up the roles, but it looks like Bardell's doing the actual animation and, and Octopi Network is kind of kind of managing and one of the interesting things is that they talked about like changing potentially animation styles and tone and themes depending from episode to episode which is cool because that's like a good way to explore the multiverse like I don't, I don't know how far they're gonna push that but like obviously like Innistrad has horror themes so if you are on Innistrad you do a horror episode if you are on Ravnica you do a city episode if you're on Lorwyn you do like a fairy tale episode but like if they could if they could take like spider versus experimentation with animation styles and push it so that like each plane in the show had like a different visual identity that would be so cool and then when we go to the water world then they'll get mike magnolia magnolia <laughs> mike Mignol- mike magnolia Mignol- the tree man yeah mike magnolia mignola Mike Mignola. There you go. Yeah, this is this is a very cool project. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of very good names attached to this. So hopefully the it'll it'll come out and be something that everyone's going to really enjoy. I've been following when we've been retweeting some of the writers who've announced that they're on the show. So it's nice cuz one of them is uh an Indian woman. Which I think means it's like the first time a Daisy person has actually been writing magic, despite it using Indian names and things for decades now. So that's a nice change. Literally everything that has been said about this project has me excited. Like all the articles were leading with the Russo brothers. And I'm like, they are the least exciting part of this. They are. It seems like they're mostly just throwing money. I don't know how hands on they'll be. But uh, they they are lifelong magic fans. Oh, so uh, you know we'll see. I have one. Uh, I have one specific worry about it, and yes. this occurred to me last night. I don't know why this is my specific worry. So why is it that in high fantasy we have decided that people have British accents, um, and in magic that makes no sense? So if they have British accents, I will be sad. That would annoy me too. There's a lot of British accents in arena that I wish were not British accents. So, right, like, you get me, like, that gets on my nerves when there's no reason for it. Jaya's the big one that really bothers me. She, sh- she should have, like, a Norwegian accent. Why? We're going to burn you, yeah? No. Oh, my God. No, Please stop. No. Never do that again. <laughs> Never that again. That was not good. Fight everything with fire. Because <laughs> she's from, like, the Norwegian era of Talaria. Anyway, in in all seriousness, it would be very cool if like Chandra had a uh, Indian uh, accent. Uh, I don't know how likely that's going to happen. I don't know how I would feel about that because she's like white passing, and well, not yeah, I feel like that just makes it get a little bit. Anyway, my my second comment about that is I also hope they make her look a little bit more like her mother, uh, and I'll leave it at that. So the next bit of news is uh, The Gathering Storm Chapter 1 came out. Uh, That is the Django Wexler prequel stories for the War of the Spark story. They're going to be coming out every week over the next 20 weeks. Uh, You sign up for the Penguin Random House newsletter and you'll get them in your email box every Wednesday. 
We are going to be covering them in batches because there's so much else going on this summer <laughs> for the next few months. So we're going to cover like four to five at a time. But uh, for those of you who've had a chance to read it so far, what are your thoughts? I thought it was really good. Um, I'm so far feeling like, and I think a lot of people share this opinion, it just kind of felt a little more better, more appropriate than the novel, more satisfying. Agreed. It's funny also. Um, so we record these podcasts on Thursday, so it's one day after, and I have not actually read it yet because I have been very gay recently and, and hanging out with, with people, so. And that makes you unable to read? Yes, because I'm busy doing other things and being social. The no real spoiler version of this one is this chapter focuses on Raul Zarek, and it's generally going to follow the time frame of the Guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica Allegiance time frame leading up to War of the Spark. And that means it's going to be a much more reduced cast than the 40 plus Planeswalkers. So it should give characters a chance to shine. Raul especially gets a lot of time in these stories and it's really great hey you know who else is gay is it ralz eric it is ralz eric what because <laughs> he's dating till mcfrona not not even dating they live together which means it's pretty serious they are pretty serious our last bit of news is next week we're going to have ethan fleischer on the show to interview him about the top-down flavor of modern horizons wait do do we have like questions set up for that no we have to we have to write those questions ah we should probably do that we should write a few but you know we basically want to talk to him about like the top-down flavor of designing like such iconic characters what went into that uh see if there's anything we missed in our flavor gems and just generally talk to him about vorthos and flavor stuff he is a fan of the show hi ethan and he's a very nice guy, so I am very excited to have him on. And I will probably apologize for once again for walking up behind him and saying hello very loudly in the dark parking lot. <laughs> okay, you mugged Ethan. That's not very nice. <laughs> I was coming out of the building and I saw him. I'm like, hey, Ethan. And he, he's like, what the hell? So... This week's feature is Flavor Gems of Modern Horizons, everything else. So our first section of cards that we're going to talk about are some of these snow theme cards. There are a lot of great Mel references here, but we're going to focus mostly on the, the Vorthos flavor. And the Ice Agey cards are some of the best ones in there. So for instance, there's Arkham's Astrolabe. Arkham Dagson was a artificer uh, near the end of the Ice Age who accidentally reawoken some uh, Phyrexian creatures and was using them in his city and they kind of went crazy and destroyed his city. Before that, he had been basically digging up artifacts thinking they were from the Brothers' War. But where he was living was right near the caves of Koilos. So he was actually digging up like ruined war machines from the Thran Civil War. And uh, yeah, Arkham's Astrolabe is just a cool example of a, well, a cool reference to a character from the Ice Age, which I was surprised we didn't get more of with all the Ice Age flavor in this, but it was still pretty cool. Cool reference. I see your word play there. <laughs> um, it is also worth noting that, uh, so Soldev is the uh, city that Arkham is from that was built 
pretty close to above the Caves of Coilos on the glaciers. And it is currently residing pretty much dead center in the nation of New Argive, which is also referenced in the flavor text. Also referencing the Time of Ice as an official title as the tale that Taysir wrote about the Ice Age. We had a lot of opportunities to write proper nouns on cards. And uh, this this is one of those where we got three proper nouns from Dominaria from across time printed on a single card so there, there's a lot of awesome moments in that set in this set because of that and speaking of proper nouns uh the next card i want to talk about specifically is dead of winter which is i think my favorite card in this set so the flavor text here is just a quote at last silence tevish sot which is a reference back to the armada comic series which is 96 they were published, I think. So uh, Tevisat is a planeswalker from Sarpedia whose sister died, and he vowed to bring silence to Dominaria and turned himself from an old 2,000-year-old man into a long-tongued dragon demon thing with tentacles instead of legs. Uh, he, He looks muscular and mean and evil, He's one of my favorite magic characters from that time period. And he talks about bringing silence to Dominaria all the time. So so there's a card, uh, Fist of Flames, that has a direct quote from Wayfarer, number one, from, uh, is it Jared Carthalian? Jared is Wayfarer, yes. Um, direct quote from Jared Carthalian. So, so that, was, that was a direct quote, direct from the comics. This uh, Dead of Winter is a paraphrasing just catching a sentiment this is the kind of card where like i would have waited like 10 years writing flavor text to try and get something like this on a card and um modern horizons happened to be my first set and happened to be a set that was like the magic players magic fans magic set and so now there's a tevisat reference from the armada comics on a magic card and that is like the coolest thing to me so we also got a new group of purple gooey ditto-like changelings this set. They come from Birthing Boughs, which is an artifact that we got in this set. And they're not really sure what they are either. Uh, we got cards like Imposter of the Sixth Pride, which is a reference to uh, Blade of the Sixth Pride, I think is the name of the card. Yes, from Future Sight, one of the full art uh, vanilla common creatures. We also got Universal Automaton, which references, um, got to remind me, Takasia, Takasia, the uh, mentor of the brothers Urza and Mishra. From She died during the Brothers' War, but she has an interesting bit of flavor text in this. Within minutes, the strange device was indistinguishable for the other upon my workbench. So that kind of implies that at least this one is on Dominaria, but I wouldn't read too much into that, that there are canon purple gooey shapeshifters on Dominaria. Uh, They were just kind of plain nonspecific, and then the, the flavor text adds cool little notes in like that. But it also appears to be like uh, bottle gnomes, like an updated version of the bottle gnomes depicted in Universal Automaton. That's what it's copying. The other 
big theme that came back in the set was slivers, which are the things that got me into magic. So you can imagine my excitement when I found out I was going to be writing for a set that has slivers. And we did a lot of really cool things for this uh, set. One of the things that the Flavor Text team uh, was looking to do with slivers was um, because they weren't necessarily tied to any specific plane, we had a lot of freedom to either try to tie them to a plane or not. Um, and, and some of them did end up being printed with flavor text that points to specific things. So Hollowhead Sliver is one of them, which has the, a flavor text quote, Brilliant! They evolved away from energy-taxing brains and respond only to spinal reflex arcs from the hive mind. Rukurumel Field Journal. So Rukurumel is a character from the Time Spiral block who kept a field journal with a bunch of notes about slivers. So they are a character that existed at least 60 years ago in the story, and because of the revitalized landscape on in Hollowhead Sliver's art, this is a Dominarian Sliver that appears sometime shortly after the mending. And apparently Ruku Rumel survived the mending, so good for them. The team played around with a lot of references to old style sliver flavor text and that was one of the things uh, that ended up getting published another reference to past sliver flavor text appears on lancer sliver which says these pullums were supposed to help from merrick adar benelish patrol that is a reference directly to talon sliver's flavor text from tempest which flavor text reads keep them at sword's length gerard's order fell flat as each sliver's talent each sliver's talent suddenly grew longer hold on break out the pole arms so the the tempest era weatherlight crew was like hey we gotta stop using swords and use pole arms and then these future benelish patrols um again likely after the mending based on the landscape are like okay maybe pole arms aren't actually good enough anymore either so like there there's no reason for there to be a connection between these two characters saying these quotes in text but it's this kind of meta joke where um the swords aren't good enough now the pole arms aren't good enough if slivers are back and there's another first strike sliver maybe the team that team writes a flavor text that plays off of that again uh which i think is really fun oh that's cool yes the jokes in this are so deep and so good this is like the Vorthos Time Spiral set too, where Time Spiral was not that Vorthosy. Another sliver flavor text reference was Cloud Shredder Sliver. Cloud Shredder Sliver gives flying in haste and is red white, and the art is directly mimicking the original art by Jim Murray for Sky Knight Legionnaire from the original Ravnica City of Guilds. So if you look at the way the Sliver's wings and head and talon are positioned, they are identical to the rock in the Sky Knight Legionnaire art. So that is the first link that these things are um, kind of playing with the same mechanics. But uh, we also got to include a phrase from the original Legionnaire, which... Uh, or from the original Legionnaire flavor text, which reads, I do not know which gives me more pride, the legions of soldiers marching in thunderous lockstep or the cry of the Sky Knights riding their rocks like jagged lightning overhead. Razia. For Cloud Shredder Sliver, we got to take this idea of jagged lightning overhead and, and 
This flavor text reads, Fork tails rustled, talons clicked, a lone sliver streaked overhead like jagged lightning, and the hive thundered. So we took this kind of jagged lightning overhead motif and threw those words into this flavor text and uh, to, to really heighten the reference on on the Sky Knight Legionnaire. And I, I think that's really fun and like really deep hidden. A lot of people probably won't get that. And if you didn't realize that connection before, now you know. Like that's, that's how deep we went on a lot of these things. Uh, but we also broke a lot of rules which is where First Sliver's Chosen comes in. That's the sliver that gives everything exalted. And uh, this is where we broke sliver naming conventions, because all the non-legendary slivers up until this point have always been named Blank Sliver. Every single one, and there are literally over 100 slivers. This sliver breaks that convention by being called First Sliver's Chosen. We don't have the naming formula for this card. And uh, that scared me when I saw it in the file, and I was like, but we can't do that. There are rules for naming slivers. <laughs> and then like a week later, I was like, okay, this is actually kind of brilliant. And and I actually like that we're breaking this rule because now it's like broken. So like, I, I don't know what happens if we see slivers after this. Does the monotony of sliver naming conventions get broken even more? Does it just go back to normal and this gets to be the one weird one? Like it, it kind of feels right to be the weird one out because it's the exalted mechanic. So the idea is you have all these slivers, but only one sliver gets to attack. So it gets a special name. I don't know. Um, I think it's really exciting. And it's the kind of thing that gets me excited as a creative text writer. Uh, when, I, when I like, like if I if I did not work on the set, I would see that and get really excited about it, and probably have a similar path of emotions and and thoughts about it. So I, I I'm really glad that got published. That is such a such a cool, interesting thing in in the history of magic naming conventions. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm glad to have been part of that legacy. So let's move on past the slivers to the rest of the references in the set starting with astral drift so the main astral drift card has artwork but the promo is the one that really has me it it really made me chuckle when i first saw it is because um it it's a play on drift as in drift racing and has a Kaladeshi vehicle drift racing around a corner in Girapur, which is just such <laughs> such a great pun, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for uh, cycling as a mechanic. <laughs> but it is it is very, very cool uh, that there's a drift racing mechanic in Magic. I think specifically is a fleet wheel cruiser. Yes. So, like, not only is it referencing the racing drifting but it's like referencing a specific card which is just silly and awesome it's funny though because kaladesh has so many things that would work so well on like a pop culture japan world that uh, drift racing is just another one to add to that pile the next card we want to talk about is goat nap which is another hilarious card uh, it is based on the card Goat Napper from way back in Lorwyn. Um, so a lot of the card names in this that referenced other cards did this kind of thing, which I actually really enjoy. Things like Engineered Plague became Plague Engineer. Goat Napper became Goat Nap. Uh, and it is it is just very, very cute. 
Yeah, we had so much fun with this set. The flavor text says the steering horns ain't steering, which is another great pun on this whole thing. But um, one of the other reasons I really like it is because a what what do you call a young goat? So it's a kidnapping, <laughs> which is another great joke that I was carried over from from Lorwyn. So I really enjoy this card. So the next card is King of the Pride, um, and I. I picked this card mainly because it references the love song of night and day, which is the first time we've had we've done that in a while, and I was just really happy to see it, and it's really cool. And its ability is pretty cool, too, because other cats get Savannah Lions. Oh, that means get plus two, plus one. So <laughs> it's really nice for Cat Tribal. Not that I'll be building that anytime soon, but I'm really happy that the flavor text references the love song of night and day. The next card we want to talk about is Good Fortune Unicorn, which is from the Plain of Mountains and Seas, I think is what it's called. Is that correct? Uh, that sounds Ish. right. It's it is like the that. global series plane that uh, Yanggu and Yanling are both from. Uh, the flavor text is catching even a glimpse of one is the start of eight years of good luck. Eight is a lucky number in China. Uh, and this unicorn is just so fabulous. Like the flowing red mane <laughs> is fantastic. I think it's my understanding that it's slush art from the set, but I do love that this set made use of that kind of thing to create a lot of fun, unique, and interesting cards. Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad we got a name on here that is in the same style as the other English translated names from the Global series. So uh, kind of reinforcing that connection. So so the names in on those cards from those decks are just direct literal translations of the Chinese names. They are not embellished or retooled in any way. So they they sound different than the English names that you would normally hear on Magic cards because they are just kind of trans translations. And so we we kind of captured that feel again with Good Fortune Unicorn. So that that was neat. I like the the ability to name cards to give specific feels and to reference specific products like that is a unique opportunity that Modern Horizons gave us. The next card we want to talk about is Goblin Engineer, which is my favorite card of the entire set. So Goblin Engineer here is a reference to Goblin Welder. It is a goblin artificer back during Thran times. So it shows a goblin from the tribe that was working on the Shivan Mana Rig in a crawl space working on some sort of Thran device. Crawl space, if you look at the original art as well, has a goblin in a similar, uh, similar setup like that. The goblins were essentially enslaved by the Thran to do all the hard and dangerous manual labor that went into building and maintaining their artifacts. So that was very, very cool. Um, you can tell it's Thran times because everything is so neat, clean, and new. And if you look at the floor, the Art Deco gold and marble style carries through on the floor here. And you can see like the same kind of gold striping that you see in Fall of the Thran, the saga from Dominaria. This whole thing is just oozing with flavor. It is such a great reference. I love this so much. My second favorite flavor of the set. So this isn't one of my favorite cards in the set, but it is my second favorite flavor in the set after Goblin Engineer and the Legends. Knight of Old Benalia. 
is perhaps one of the funniest cards in the entire set. So let's rewind to, I think, Magic 2014, an armored Cancrix. Is that how you say it? Cancrix? Cancrix, yes. There's also a Cancrix in this set, but we won't talk about it because it's not particularly special other than being a crab that I love. So back in Magic 2014, there was this giant armored uh, anachronism crab thing that had flavor text saying, Creatures displaced from time still turn up every year, stranded by the temporal disaster that once swept across Dominaria. So the idea here is that the time rifts that you see all over the time spiral set, they brought things towards right around the time of the mending from the past, but that isn't all they did. They kind of spit things out everywhere all over time. It was just focused around the mending. And so this is an example of a poor Benalian knight who got fast-forwarded into new Benalia. You just kind of see him running through charging like victorious and realizing, uh, what just happened? Kind of in a Captain America sense, uh, getting suspended, which he has on his, as one of his abilities. Oh my god, I'm calling him Captain America now. (laughs) Captain Benalia. It is the only one of uh, these cards that I think is a direct time spiral reference in that it has the uh, the riffs, the time riffs that were in like all of the time spiral art. And I think that was some nice restraint. <laughs> it's a it's a visual motif that goes along with time spiral suspended cards. It's also a direct name reference to Knight of Nubanalia from Dominaria last year. The next card we want to talk about is Segovian Angel. Uh, This is one of my favorite flavor gems in this set. This was, damn you, Ethan. (laughs) So Segovian Angel, uh, last year in 2018, our April Fool's Day joke was everything you knew about Segovia. And the Segovian Angel returns. So Segovia is this place where everything's like 1 100th scale or something like that. Uh, And so everything is very tiny there compared to the rest of the multiverse. We've seen it in a plane, which was, um, what was the name of the Colosseum? The Hippodrome. The Hippodrome. Uh, So we see the Hippodrome behind the Segovian Angel. uh, And the flavor text is, When Warzal summoned Segovian Angels to fight Thommel's Gargantkari Nats, the ensuing battle numbered among the multiverse's least destructive. So Warzel and Thommel are characters from the very first magic story in the Alpha Rulebook, which was Rorika's Tale. You can find it online. We'll link it after the show. So this card is just oozing with flavor and all sorts of references. But that explains why this is a miniature angel. All the Everything on Segovia is too small scale. Yeah, and if you're looking for more information on Gargantakari, or Gargantakar, uh, it doesn't exist because it was made up literally to make this joke in the flavor text. So, <laughs> congrats. Uh, Ethan has too much power. Choking Tethers is another very cool card. It looks almost exactly like the Vidalkin in Vidalkin Humiliator, except there's nothing else about it that would indicate it's from Mirrodin. I'm wondering if this is one of the vanished Vidalkin from way back when. Maybe their whole line passed down because it's got the same gold circlet motif, the same forearms, the same general kind of outfit, but changed just enough that it looks fantasy and not the sci-fi version that the uh, 
the Mirren versions are wearing, so I wonder if that's meant to be a reference there. Regardless, it's very cool. In the Art for Rebuild, we have references to a number of different cards. I think Bonesaw is in there, Mox Sapphire, Spider Silk Net, I believe, is one of them. Yes. The feather, I believe, is intended to be a feather from Paradise Plume. And then there's a Ring of Gix in there as well. I don't know why, but I appreciate that because I like Gix. <laughs> so it is a very cool number of references there from Lindsay Look, who is a very good magic artist. I'm glad to see her back on this. And she does she does hands amazingly. That's not an easy thing to do as an artist. She, she does hands um, as well as anybody in magic art history. She and uh, Volkenbaga need to have like a hands-off. <laughs> hands are obnoxiously difficult to illustrate and putting that many hands in one piece of art is just flexing on everybody to me <laughs> tribute mage is another in the line of the tr mages that uh summon or, or i'm sorry that tutor up a artifact of a specific converted mana cost for you this one the art does not beat around the bush the art is literally just Sword of the Meek, which is a major combo enabler, especially if you have a Thopter Foundry. Which also costs two. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. It went straight into my Shroom deck. Um, the next card is Goblin Orphan, and I I put it on the list just because I love how it references the Orcish Orphan, um from way back when. And to me, it's funny because they effectively half the cost of this card, and the flavor text references the Eternal Master's flavor text. Eternal Master's flavor text for Orcish Orphlam is the Orc's banner sends a clear message. Stand against us and meet the same fate as the Goblins. The Goblin Orphlam flavor text is, it was difficult to tell whether the piles of gore within the warrens are mere trash heaps, sacred altars, or warnings. Sarpedian Empires, Volume 9? No, that's 4. Derp. <laughs> There's a new entry into the Sarpanian Empires things, and it wasn't me, so don't thank me for it. Thank somebody else. Um, thank Allison for it. She was my boss and the coordinator for the creative text. Yeah, the mana cost is a reference to the original alpha misprint of Orcish Oriflame, which was mistakenly printed at one red and then was fixed in later printings in beta and so on as a 3R. Like, it finally gets to... This alpha misprint finally, 26 years later, gets to be a real card. So the next three are just real quick references. First Sphere Gargantua is a reference to Phyrexian Gargantua. First Sphere is a reference to the outermost sphere of Phyrexia, the original Phyrexian plane, where it was kind of the dog-eat-dog level of the plane, where a lot of monsters were allowed to roam and Survival of the Fittest was king. Collector Oof is a Spellwild Oof from back in Future Sight. That's the first time we've seen this specific kind of Oof again. Splicer's Skill is a reference to Sensor Splicer uh, and also Phyrexian Splicer. The art is a direct reference to Phyrexian Splicer. It's a very specific composition, and if you look at both cards, the um, kind of sewing mechanical tool thing is the same aperture arm which is like so specific and so amazing that it was pulled off. Dismantling Blow references one of my favorite magic characters who hasn't gotten a card yet, but um, Rem Carolus 
from Innistrad, who has gone from slaying monsters to and vampires to angels and Eldrazi. And I would... He needs a card so bad. Like, there are so many characters that need cards. He is very high up on my list on characters I want to see. Um, he's just like, all business, no joking around. Hey, by the way, I'm like the best slayer on Innistrad, and I've killed all the monsters that can be killed. So listen to me, you idiots, or else you're not going to survive the night. Excavating Anurid has one of the deeper cuts from this set, even though it references a novel. So Turg is a frog monster from, um, I can't remember if it's the Odyssey block or the Onslaught block novels, but Turg is a frog monster that is kind of aligned with some of the baddies. And uh, so so he gets referenced on this card. The Anurids are the frog beasts of Otaria. So the flavor text is Turg spawn ruled long after he croaked croaked meaning dying um but also like a frog croak because it's frog get it it's the worst pun this is the worst pun in the set the groaniest pun in the set and um uh odyssey block had a a lot of creative control in mark rosewater's hands mark is a champion of dad jokes and groany puns and and odyssey block has the groaniest puns uh the highest density of groany puns in all of magic um, you know, you know that is the famous where bear. You know, he has the right to bear arms. I love that pun. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, no, it's great. Uh, if if you love really groany puns, Odyssey Block has so many. And this is a card specifically, uh, you know, from the Anurids. So from the name to the type to the art to the even the threshold mechanic. Um, this is a card just that just harkens back to Odyssey. So I was like, look, if we're gonna put a flavor text on this card. It should honor the legacy of groany, groany Odyssey block puns. <laughs> there, there were a bunch. Uh, we tried out a bunch of stuff. We got one on the card. I'm very happy with it. Like, There's a lot of puns in the set in general. This one is my favorite that we got printed. Because it's so bad. <laughs> uh, the next piece we want to talk about is Kaya's Guile which is the first piece we've seen of her going more or less full ghost. Uh, up until now, we've only seen maybe half her body. We see in the War of the Spark novel that she has started to push that aspect of her powers, and it's something that she can do. It's just not something she risks very often. Um, so it is, it's also just a very cool Kaya piece. <laughs> it's excellent. Where we see her as a ghost form assassinating someone. So, you know, she 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 does kill more than just ghosts. Lanawar tribe is what happens when you staple three Lanawar elves together. So disappointing. Such a great reference. I love that it's literally just three Lanawar elves. Brian, what are your thoughts? I'm so very sad this is the only legit elf in the set. Or, I'm sorry... I shouldn't say that there's a there's the Harrow elf in the set as well, but still, like, I just wanted more. I wanted a Wirewood <laughs> symbiote or something. I wanted Bird Floor Rangers something. It, w- it was rough to listen to you be like, I hope there's good stuff for elves. They're pushing, like, lower tier modern decks up to, to try and, like, boost them in power. I hope they do elves. I'm just like, ah, Brian, I'm sorry it's not one of the the things that is pushed in this set. Like, if, if there's ever a Modern Horizons 2, I think elves probably have a good chance. Um, they're extraordinarily popular. The deck is 
pretty okay in Legacy because they get to play with all the broken cards and is like a lower tier modern deck, but it's still a modern deck. I I, I sympathize and, and sorry that elves could not be at the forefront of this set, but hopefully in the future. Um, but this flavor text... You know, you know, as I mentioned before, like we got to shove a lot of proper nouns on cards as a team, and and this one references Lanawar, the Ice Age, the Frexian Invasion, and the Rift Era, and and just kind of is a testament to the endurance of the Lanawar Elves and the and the Elfhames and their desire to prevent idiots from ruining Dominaria yet again, which uh, is is kind of um has, was their aligned stance with. Dominaria's history as uh, showed in the Dominaria set last year. And the last card we want to talk about is Seasoned Pyromancer. Seasoned Pyromancer. My baby boy. All grown up now, mostly. It's only been a few years, so not like too grown up. This is uh, this is young Pyromancer. Um, he apparently is not wearing his uh, Chandra amulet or belt anymore. I guess he might have felt like that was a little childish. I I actually don't know if is it confirmed that he is Brandon or are we just deciding that. It's a it's it's like a Brandon. The first young pyromancer was definitely a Brandon reference. Like there's articles that refer to it as a Brandon reference, but it's not like a Brandon okay. legendary creature or anything. Yeah, I mean I don't know if if like that was just something that we had decided. Anyway, so this is most likely. Um, while not legendary, Chandra's friend Brannon, who is from Regatha, he lives at Carol Keep. His parents sent him there as a little kid because, like Chandra, they couldn't control him. So, he's one of Chandra's, like, uh, longer friendships. Even though he kind of disappeared from the story due to being unimportant. But anyway, if you like Young Pyromancer, which you do. If you don't, then you don't have good taste. Then he's grown up and sexy now. The the thing I really appreciate about this is that uh, young Pyromancer had like the goggles and the um, amulet on the necklace as like, hey, I love Chandra. This one has like his cosplay. Like he's starting to cosplay as Chandra. Like he has the pauldron. He has the goggles. His hair, the ends of his hair are on fire. Um, like if there's another card after this, like he's just gonna be Chandra. And okay, if you mention his hair, notice in a Young Pyromancer, his hair's dyed because he's got dark roots. Uh-huh. Uh huh. His hair has continued. He's clearly not redyed it. It is only like half red. <laughs> All right. So that's about all the time we have for today. Let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought is that this Netflix series has so much talent attached to it. I really can't wait to see what they do. Um, And that's really all I've got. My final thought is we finally got some more information about Pokemon Sword and Shield this week. And I would die for Wooloo, the new sheep Pokemon. Um, I have known it for two seconds it's actually been a couple days so i have had a lot of time to acquaint myself with how much i freaking love this thing it is covered in wool and it is adorable and it rolls away from its problems and that's super relatable and i love it my final thought is that i saw godzilla and i am really hoping that the 
lukewarm reception at the box office does not stop it from getting a sequel because they very strongly hinted at sequels and i want this to be a thing no worries godzilla vs king kong has been planned for many years it's uh i think set for next year to be released so they're already working on it also left head best head my final thought is annie just did the cutest thing okay so jenny is trying to give annie spaghetti and so Annie stood up on two legs. He's really cute, and I thought you would want to know that. She's evolving. Love you, Annie. She is our president and CEO of the Vorthos cast, so that's nice. And if you want to help support Annie's new career and evolutionary trajectory, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast and support the show today. Everyone who supports our show gets access to our Discord community, where we have Vorthoses from around the world talking about new exciting things like, I guess, magic, but like mostly Wooloo. If you support us on Patreon, we get to keep making episodes every week, and we love doing this, and we're so thankful for everyone out there who is uh, supporting us and just listening and making this a project that's worthwhile to do. So uh, thank you all for listening. And this has been the Vorthos cast.